Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living today. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and during this month of September 2020 on the Yoga Hour, we are continuing the celebration of the arrival of Paramahansa Yogananda to the United States, which happened 100 years ago. In By coming to the United States, Yogananda brought the teachings of Kriya Yoga to the West and basically changed millions of lives throughout the world. So our topic today is Paramahansa Yogananda's early life and influences. I'm delighted to be joined today by Reverend Ron Lindon, the Senior Minister at the Center for Spiritual Awareness, the Meditation and Retreat Center in Georgia, which was founded by Roy Eugene Davis, a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. Ron was ordained to teach by Mr. Davis in 1978. Ron is also the co-producer and co-director of the very interesting documentary that we're focusing on today, which is called Yogananda and the Kriya Yoga Masters. Ron co-produced and co-directed with his wife, Helene Lindon. You can find out more about Ron and his work at uh, the website ronlindon.com. It's Ron and then L-I-N-D-A-H-N.com. Also, Yogananda's India is the uh, where you can find the film, yogananda'sindia.com, and also the website csa-davis.org. Welcome, Ron Lindon. I'm so glad you could join us today on the Yoga Hour. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. All right, before we dive into our dialogue about Yogananda's early life, let's start with a moment of contemplation. Let's begin by taking this moment out of our busy days and just bring ourselves present, fully present in this moment. So first, paying attention to our bodies in space, feeling all of the surfaces that support us, whether we're sitting or standing or walking, And then feeling the breath, noticing the rhythm of the breath, not trying to change it, but just noticing its natural flow. On the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhale, the warm air flowing out. And as we rest here, right here, right now, 
Here's something to contemplate from Paramahansa Yogananda, taken from his book, Metaphysical Meditations. Beloved God, I know that I am not the body, not the blood, not the energy, not the thoughts, not the mind, not the ego, not the astral self. I am the immortal soul that illumines them all, remaining unchangeable in spite of their changes. So once again, Ron Lindon, welcome to the Yoga Hour. And as you know, we just passed this centenary, 100th anniversary of Yogananda's arrival in the United States on September 19th, 1920. So this month, the Yoga Hour has been focusing on Yogananda. And there are two earlier episodes in this series on Yogananda that listeners might have missed. So I wanted to mention you can find them in our archive at unityonlineradio.org forward slash the yoga hour or wherever you get your podcasts. The first one in early September, I spoke with Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda and the Life of Yogananda. And then Yogacharya O'Brien <clears throat> spoke with Nayaswamis, Jyotish, and Devi, the spiritual directors of the Ananda Sangha worldwide, about the legacy of Paramahansa Yogananda. So now we turn to Yogananda's early life and influences. And Ron, I first wanted to ask you, how did you meet your teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, and become interested in Paramahansa Yogananda? Well, it was a, a blessing. I was actually... Uh... Uh, not interested. I was not particularly looking for anything. I was just living my life. I was uh, 23 years old in California, and I was had just taken over the photographic department for Westinghouse in Sunnyvale. And one of the first people who came through the door was a man named Arlie Gaines, who was a technical writer at the company and wanted a picture taken, a portrait for a program that he was doing, uh, teaching meditation. And so this, I said, sure, I'll be glad to do that. And, uh, and so he, so in the conversation, uh, I asked him about what meditation was. He invited me to his study group and he was the representative for Mr. Davis in California. So I started to attend his study group. I started reading Roy's books and my life was completely changed. Mm. Yeah, nice story. So you have made this really quite interesting and beautiful documentary about Yogananda and the Kriya Yoga Masters, along with your wife, Helene. Uh, so what inspired you to make this film? Well, originally, we, we wanted to do a pilgrimage, go back to India and travel to all the places that Yogananda had uh, talked about in the autobiography, as well as where some of his, his uh, teachers and the gurus in our lineage uh, were from, and, and to go visit those places and get a firsthand experience. And because of my background as a photographer and filmmaker, I thought, uh, you know, there's nobody's made a documentary about this pilgrimage. It's just, it, you can't find one. And I thought, that's crazy after all these years. So we took the cameras and decided we would really do this intense trip 
and make the pilgrimage movie for people who would never be able to go to India. Mm-hmm. And so along the way, we, you know, we, we, we filmed all the places. We had this really tight schedule, but we got to all the places. And, and as we started to, we got home and as we started to put the pilgrimage together, we, it, it became obvious that we had to explain to people who didn't know what we were talking about, who weren't in this tradition, who these people were, who was Babaji, who was Lahiri Mahashaya, to be able to put some context. And then it turned in from, it turned, changed from a, a pilgrimage movie to a movie about these people's life. And so the, yeah. the movie kind of took over itself, you know? Yeah. Well, it is remarkable, I must say, as someone who's been in this tradition for quite a number of years, and I was amazed that you got as much footage as you did and everything, like you said, I mean, everything is there. It's really, it's really cool. Um, So what do you hope that the viewer will come away with or experience from watching the movie? What's your, what's your fondest hope about that? Well, my fondest hope is that people will realize that um, these teachers, these masters in our tradition were real people who had real lives, who had challenges, who overcame obstacles, who were persistent in their spiritual practice and quest and became masters because they did the work. So that uh, my hope is that people will be encouraged to be like them. Not to see them as being out there someplace and distant, but rather this is accessible. This is what they always encouraged us. This is what they wanted us to do. And so to make this real, to, you know, make these individuals like real people and say, yeah, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really great. <clears throat> so <clears throat> you ended up doing a lot of research for the, you know, for the movie and discovered stuff that I had never heard of, which was really cool. So what was the thing that most surprised you that you discovered in your research for the movie? Well, we actually, there were a lot of surprises. We, in the research, we read lots of biographies and stories and a lot of things that, uh, you know, are a little bit obscure. And we also had talked to many people. And so, the story started putting itself together and and so there are many i mean i could i could talk for an hour about mm-hmm. uh how many surprises we came across but one of the one of the big ones was uh how yogananda met his guru met sri yukteswar mm-hmm. uh and and um and when we discovered that um sri uh, yogananda was uh, the son of uh, uh, a couple that were both the disciples of Lahiri Mahashaya. So right. his mom and dad were <clears throat> disciples of Lahiri Mahashaya. And, uh, and uh, Yogananda's uncle, Sarada Ghosh, was also a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. And a friend of his in Sarampur was Swami Sri Yukteswar. So when uh, Yogananda had decided to run off after high school to go off and follow his dream of becoming a monk in Benares, and uh, the family was a little upset. They said, you know, our, this was a wealthy family. They were, you know, hoping that uh, Yogananda would be 
going to college and having a regular life. And here he wants to be run off and be a monk. And so the family was upset and they said, maybe, you know, what can we do? We need to, you know, corral him a little bit. And so Uncle Sarada talked to send a letter to Sri Yukteswar, who happened to be visiting Benares at the time, and said, check in on, you know, on, uh, on uh, Mukunda, on our, our young friend here, and uh, see what's going on and see if you can, can put some ideas in his head, convince him to come back and go to school. You know, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. and they sent a letter to Yogananda also, and they said, uh, "There's a really, you know, wonderful spiritual uh, teacher uh, that's a friend of the family." And it turned out, I just found out a week ago that uh, Sri Yukteswar grew up and knew Yogananda's mother when he was a child. They they hmm. lived. I mean, they were together. They didn't live together, but they were in the same area, and they grew right. up playing together. Right. So there was a family connection between Yukteswar and Yogananda, and the meeting that he had was arranged. The Sri Yukteswar went, you know, sent somebody to look at the uh, Manamahan, I mean, the Manamandal uh, ashram where uh, Yogananda was staying at the time. So. They made the connection. They made arrangements to meet. And so that was kind of like, wow, this was not the way it was told in the book. You know, and of course, <laughs> right. a lot of, you know, a lot of stories get romanticized and it's, right. you know, it's to be able to, to make a connection. And I understand that, but this was, you know, wow, that's really interesting. And then we were able to actually, by going to uh, where Yogananda would stay in Benares and also, um, looking at where the uh, Bengali Tola, which is the market for the Bengali, it's kind of a, it's the section where Bengalis, Bengalis are from Calcutta, from way over on the east. And so being in Benares, everyone is Hindi speaking. So so the Bengalis kind of have their own little ghetto. And in the Bengali Tola, this is the market for the Bengali ghetto kind of, and so when they said that Yogananda had met Sri Yukteswar at the Bengali Tola, well, it turns out that if you walk from where uh, Sri Yukteswar's place was on Rana Mahal and you go to the Bengali Tola, there's only one logical way that you can come out into this lane and this main place. And, you know, we st- stood there and said, wow, this is where they met. This is yeah. the place right yeah. here. That's that's really cool. That was really fun for me too to see that and to realize that that it was going to happen. <laughs> that it yeah. wasn't it wasn't you know maybe as random as it, you know it, it it says in the autobiography. But it's cool how it how it was all that they you know were arranged to meet. So, and I and I should mention one of the things I liked about the film is you you have. Uh, maps that you intersperse with all these stories and you show the location of these different things. So you can actually see like on a blow up of a street map, you know, of where these different places are. So that I appreciated that. I thought that was cool. So the movie begins by reviewing what was happening in the world in 1893 when Yogananda was born. 
And just as a quick recap, the agricultural and industrial revolutions are ongoing. They're freeing up people's time for self-development. Electricity was beginning to be deployed for lighting. The internal combustion engine was being applied to transportation, making it possible to travel long distances. And as you point out, the development of science and technology led to a growing need that people felt for spiritual balance. So how did these trends combine to make the United States a fertile ground for Yogananda and the Kriya Yoga teachings? Well, the, the, what happened is um, people were traveling more, communications were opening up between countries, and in 1893, the year Yogananda was born, at the Chicago World's Fair, uh, they had the first uh, Parliament of Religions. And at the first Parliament of Religions, they invited Swami Vivekananda to come right. and speak. Right. And, and he was amazing. I mean, he was so, I mean, he's such, he was so bright and so well-educated and such a great orator that he really just blew them away. I mean, right. and he spent uh, some time in America and in Europe lecturing and, and talking about India, about Hinduism, about the connection between different religions. But this was also the time when India was beginning to really strain at the at the yoke of British rule, and there was a big movement for Indian in independence, and Vivekananda was also advocating for that when he traveled. So there's this big uh, movement in the direction of being aware of India, India wanting independence, and then uh, a little bit later, Swami Ramatirtha came to the United States, another amazing bright guy who uh, was in San Francisco and lectured uh, around in some, some places in America and made a huge splash. I mean, he was really inspiring. So when these guys went back to India, they were like superstars. Vivekananda yeah. and Ramatirtha were the equivalent of a big movie star, a sports star. I mean, all the children, all the kids, everybody was really you know, amazed and proud. And, and so they, they began this conversation about India and about how India was not a bunch of heathens, but these people were smart, you know, well-informed, and their spirituality was um, certainly equal to anything that the West had developed. So mm -hmm. this really set the stage right. uh, in, in many ways. And as you point out in the movie, Yogananda was, of course, aware of both of these, aware, aware of the Kananda's trip to trip abroad and how they how he had been received. And Swami Ramatirtha is aware of both of those, right? Oh, it, he, he was not only aware of them, these were superstars for the kids. I mean, this is Yogananda wanted to be like these guys. He right. carried their little, he carried books of their quotations around with them in his pocket. And he would sit, I mean, anytime he could get anybody's attention, and he was he was very good at getting attention. He was a natural <laughs> leader. Uh, he would sit down and he would make people listen to the quotes from these books from Rami, Swami Ramatirtha. And many of his chants were taken from, they were adapted from Swami Ramatirtha's writings. So, right. yeah, these were his heroes. Mm -hmm. One of the things that surprised me was the trip to Japan. I was totally unaware that that had happened because I haven't read about that anywhere where it apparently it was quite difficult to get a visa to come to the United States. And Yogananda wanted to come to the United States and then went to Japan to try and get a visa from there, right? Yeah, well, he couldn't come to the United States because we were having a world war. Right. And, and India was 
being supported by Germany. Germany was advocating for India and against Britain. So they were mm-hmm. telling Britain, you need to turn this country loose. And, you know, there was a lot of political stuff. So uh, so there was a lot of problem. And also uh, before that and earlier in the, in the early uh, 1900s, there was a big infusion of Sikhs who were coming to Southern California as workers, migrant laborers. Hmm. So, um, so now we have, you know, Mexicans who come in and, and we have chat and some people are having challenges with them, with the immigrants. Well, back in the early 1900s, all these Sikhs, all these Indian men were coming into Southern California, working in the fields. And there was a big backlash. There was a, just like we have today, people were going, we can't have this. There's too many and they're taking our jobs and they're taking our women and mm. we know what to do. So, so they started to be uh, isolationist. They started to make, make it very difficult for Indians to get visas to come to this country. And then the war didn't help. Mm-hmm. So, so it just wasn't, it really wasn't possible. And that's why I believe Yogananda said, okay, I'm going to go to Japan. And from Japan, I may be able to get a, get a visa easier than I'm, than I can here in, in, uh, India. Mm-hmm. But then of course that didn't work out. So he's back in India quite shortly thereafter. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I thought it was, it was quite humorous and I, and this is all from, uh, his brother, the book by his brother, Mijda, huh. that was published by self-realization fellowship. So, yeah. And, you know, his brother tells this story and to me, you know, the story is, that in order to go to Japan, there was a, a program that was for agricultural students. So India was uh, sending people to Japan to learn about agriculture so that they could grow more food and be more efficient. And so Yogananda signs up for this program to go to, to Japan to learn how to grow food and to be an agricultural student. And he has never, ever in his life been interested in anything except his spiritual practice. Right. So I'm going, I'm going, what? What is this? And he cut his hair. I mean, he, he, was, he wanted to be a swami. He had long hair and a beard. And, you know, even though he's still young, he cut his hair short. I mean, there's, he shaved. He's got pictures of this, huh. you know, collegiate-looking young guy, Yogananda. <laughs> And he goes off to Japan, and then they say, well, he, he didn't feel comfortable in the culture and this and that, and he came back and left left there in a week. Wow. So to me, you know, I just sit there and put two and two together and think, well, I understand what happens, you know. <laughs> this was a, a gambit to try to get to America, and it didn't work. Right. But what eventually did work is the invitation that he got to speak at the right. uh, Congress of Religious Liberals, which is why he ended up coming when he did. And I thought it was interesting. I had known this before, but to, just to highlight, the city of Sparta, the ship that he took from India to America, was the first one that left after the war. I mean, it was yeah. like right after the war. Yeah, this was, you know, to me, again, to me, I, you know, I just start reading all these stories and I, and I you know, I had to step back and I think, wow. You know, what makes perfect sense? Here's Yogananda, who's wanted to come to America since he graduated from, uh, since he got out of college, since he graduated from college. It's never been possible. The first time it's possible to come from India to America, the first time he's on the first ship. Right. And 
And so this was, you know, this was something that was, it was his, obviously it was his destiny. Right. Um, but this is when the calling happened and it's like the universe decided to conspire to make this available and bring all these forces together. And, mm-hmm. and as soon as he saw, and I'm, you know, I'm convinced that he saw in the newspaper or something that there was, you know, that the ship was going. And, and even though he's off in, uh, in raunchy and at the school, it's like, wow, you know, there's a possibility. And if there's any possibility, I'm going to do it. He, he mm-hmm. had that kind of power. He had mm-hmm. that kind of mind. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so getting back to his early life, what, what was Yogananda like as a child and as a teenager? Well, he, he was always uh, very highly spiritually oriented, very highly spiritually um, interested. I mean, this was from the time that he was very, very young. So when he's in high school, he and his best friend, Manu Mahan Mazumdar, who is a uh, lives across the street at the school for the deaf and dumb um, and is uh, maybe three years younger, but they were best buddies. And so they would sneak out at night, you know, high school students sneaking out at night and they would sneak out to go uh, study the Bhagavad Gita and meditate together. Mm. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, sneaking out <laughs> at night was not. Was That's not, not what I was doing. I snuck out <laughs> at night. <laughs> so this was who he was. He was just uh, really, really focused on this, on his spiritual quest. Mm. You also talk about how he was really athletic and interested in in sports and played soccer. Anyway, I just thought it was a nice picture that you painted of all these other aspects of his life as well in the, in the film. Yeah, he was a, he was really quite a remarkable athlete and and a natural leader. He was, you know, it seemed like wherever he went, he had that personality that just people would, uh, would, you know, follow him, would uh, listen to him, pay attention. So he had this, this very strong personality and, uh, and a lot of really amazing characteristics when he was very young. Mm-hmm. And with that, we've come to the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Ron Lindon, Senior Minister at the Center for Spiritual Awareness, the Meditation and Retreat Center in Georgia, founded by Roy Eugene Davis. Ron is also the co-producer and co-director with his wife, Helene Lindon, of the documentary Yogananda and the Kriya Yoga Masters, which we are discussing today. And again, you can get access to that film at yoganandasindia.com. You can find out more about Ron Lindon at his websites. Um, I think it's ronlindon.com and csa-davis.org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about the three yoga masters who influenced Paramahansa Yogananda. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. This is Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and I'm here with Ron Lindon and talking about his very interesting movie, uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda and the Kriya Yoga Masters. Um, so let's talk about the Kriya Yoga Masters and let's start with Babaji, since the Kriya Yoga lineage that Yogananda was part of begins with him. So Babaji was the spiritual teacher of Lahiri Mahashaya and Lahiri met Babaji after being transferred to Raniket for his job. And then he was up hiking in the foothills in the Himalayan foothills and meets his spiritual teacher who was reactivating these Kriya Yoga teachings that had been apparently just not, they'd been sort of forgotten in the sands of time. So can you tell us a little bit about Babaji? Yeah, Babaji was uh, a renunciate in, in the tradition in India for a very few, this is not a popular thing, but for a very few individuals who were very spiritually inclined, uh, they would leave normal society, home, and, you know, all the things that go along with that in order to really figure out who they are, what am I, and to, to uh, initiate this direct communication and experience of God. And so they would go off away from society. They wanted to be, they didn't want to be hanging around with people and be bothered. Uh, and they would have intense spiritual practices. And for the most part, as far as we can tell, uh, Babaji was practicing Raja Yoga uh, and, and many of the more esoteric practices within this. But so there's long hours of meditation and dis discipline and, uh, you know, um, various programs. And so and he would he lived in the mostly in the foothills of the Himalayas and he would travel. Uh, as these folks would. They didn't stay in one place for a long time. They would travel and they would go from one sacred place to another. And when we say sacred places, uh, these are places where you can feel the energy. There is a, there is a palpable connection uh, with energetically with a, you know, a, a spiritual aspect of reality. And, mm -hmm. and all I can say is you, know, you walk into a place and you can feel it and so the places where he would be, that I'm aware of, were all around these very intense spiritual places. So uh, he was said to be up around Badranath Temple, which is an ancient, ancient place, uh, a little further west uh, of where Raniket is. And then right near Raniket, just a little bit, you know, 20 kilometers up in the, further up in the Himalayas, is Dunagiri Temple. Right. And so this this was the area where, uh, where Babaji was when Lahiri Mahashaya met him. Mm -hmm. And Dunagiri so, Temple, Dunagiri Temple was, is one of the most sacred places in India dedicated to Divine Mother. Mm. So this is a, this is a really juicy place. And when you're, when you're there, when you're standing there, I mean, it's like, um, all I can say, it's like, there's a, a there's a thinner, uh, layer between spirituality and physicality. You know, it's a really mm -hmm. juicy place. So this Babaji was very instrumental in Yogananda's coming to the United States in actually several different ways. So can you give us a few details about that? Well, um, 
Babaji, when he when he uh, met Lahiri Mahashaya, he educated, he taught Lahiri Mahashaya these Raja Yoga techniques. So he, you know, this it wasn't called Kriya Yoga then. Kriya just means Kriya is a word that means actions, the things that we do in order to develop our spiritual practice. Um, so this Raja Yoga, these techniques and these meditation techniques, this philosophy. Uh, Babaji taught this to Lahiri Mahashaya. Lahiri Mahashaya then in turn uh, adapted this so that regular people that weren't living in caves and out in, you know, away from a society. So you and I and regular people could take advantage and plug into this technology. So that was Lahiri Mahashaya's uh, innovation and genius. And, and so that created the, the foundation, the background that uh, led yoga, you know, that provided Yogananda with these tools and this information and the and the impulse to be able to move forward and and uh, you know contribute and, and carry this on out. Mm-hmm. I remember reading in the autobiography that Babaji actually blessed Yogananda's journey as well. Just kind of right before the journey that you know he appeared and gave Yogananda his blessing. So there was a lot of interweaving there between Yogananda's destiny and, and Babaji. Yes, yes. And also Babaji was, uh, <clears throat> Babaji had interaction with Sri Yukteswar. And uh, when Sri Yukteswar met Babaji at the Kumbha Mela and was discussing the his ideas, Sri Yukteswar's ideas about how, you know, Westerners, there must be Westerners that are enlightened too. There must be people that never heard of Hinduism that also wake up and have a relationship with God. And so he was, you know, contemplating this. And then at the Kumbh Mela, he met Babaji, who he didn't know was Babaji at the time, and had this conversation with this holy man. And the holy man said, yeah, I think you're onto something here. And you ought to write it up. You ought to let people know (laughs) about this idea. So, so Babaji was supporting Sri Yukteswar in this idea about the, the commonality between Eastern and Western religion and spirituality. So this was yeah. another foundation, you know, another brick that helped out. <clears throat> so turning to Lahiri Mahashaya, there's so many intersections of Yogananda's life with Lahiri. And again, Lahiri is the one who goes and meets Babaji and brings these teachings back. Uh, so it began with Yogananda's parents being disciples of Lahiri Mahashaya. So let's talk about Lahiri. Who was he? Just kind of in a nutshell, and what impact did he have on Yogananda's life? Uh, well, Lahiri Mahashaya was a uh, um, Shyamacharan Lahiri. He was born Shyamacharan Lahiri, and he was in. Uh, in Benares, his father moved the family, moved him to Benares uh, uh, when he was around four or five years old. And uh, so he grew up there in Benares. And he was, again, he was in the ghetto. He was the Bengali, in the Bengali speaking part of Hindi Benares. Um, and he was very bright, apparently, as a, as a young man, young kid in school. Uh, he got the best marks. He learned five or six languages. Mm. Um, he was very spiritually grounded in, but he was spiritually grounded in the traditional Hindu, uh, approach. And so he would go to the, 
to the temple after school and you know chant with and re- recite the Vedas and and do all the things that normal Hindus do, which is they're very spiritually oriented, spiritually grounded, and a lot of very traditional uh, sort of approaches to spirituality, but not a not a philosophical, uh, intellectual, you know, approach. It's much more devotional, and so <clears throat> and so like so as he grew up. Uh, he graduated from school, and it was hard to get a job, and he was very good with language, so he ended up as a clerk for the British military, and uh, in order to supplement his income, he would also be tutoring the British that he was working with, uh, and he was always very, very, uh, very, very oriented toward education. So he made very little money, but even though he made very little, he was able to organize some friends that did have money and create a high school for the Bengali students. Mm-hmm. So in the Bengali Tola, he actually was the founder and kind of the head secretary for a, a school, as well as being a clerk and doing all the other stuff he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was an educator from the beginning. That was one of the things that was very profound about him. So when he learned, when he met Babaji and he learned about Kriya Yoga and he asked, he asked Babaji, he says, can I teach this to the people back home? You know, everybody needs this. This is really important. And so he was given permission to initiate and to teach. And so he, this, he was a real innovator uh, because he was able to adapt these, um, you know, intense spiritual practices to a form that was accessible to, to everybody. Right. And when you say everybody, that really meant everybody, because one of the things that was different about what he was doing is he was extending the opportunity to study to women as well as to men, so that it was a really an open door for, as you said, everybody, and not just men, which is more traditional at that time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he, when he... When he uh, developed a school, this high school, he tried to have uh, a woman's school too, a female school, but this was really just unheard of at that time in India. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but he was advocating for that from the beginning. And also he would teach, he would teach individuals uh, based on what their need was. So he, he wasn't one cookie cutter, you know, approach. It was for the person that was very devotional he would teach them things that would that they could use in a devotional way. For people who were more intellectual, he would teach them. So there was a different presentation and a different set of techniques and procedures depending on the needs of the individual. Mm-hmm. So turning now to the next of the teachers that brought these that it ended up in this line and ended up with Yogananda bringing these teachings to the West is Sri Yukteswar. So we've talked about Babaji, talked about Lahiri Mahashaya, and then one of Lahiri's students is is this Swami Sri Yukteswar, who was Yogananda's teacher. And the movie detailed in an interesting way to me, which I hadn't really heard that much about, how Sri Yukteswar disseminated Lahiri Mahashaya's teachings throughout northern India and promoted the study of the Bhagavad Gita. So he was much a bigger traveler than I than I thought. So that was something I gained from the movie. So what was Sri Yukteswar like as a young man? Uh, as a young man, he was a, he was another one that was just a remarkable, had a remarkable intellect. 
uh, and he had this insatiable curiosity. He wanted to know everything about everything. He had a great mind and a great memory, and and he would ask all the hard questions. And and he had this uh, <clears throat> ability to to discern. So his discrimination was very sharp. Mm-hmm. So so he would uh, when he would meet a, a someone who had you know, claims of being a spiritual master or doing these miraculous things, he would go check them out and oftentimes debunk them, figure out what the trick was, you know. Right. Uh, And when he was in college, he was uh, asking so many questions in the science and uh, science classes and biology classes that finally the teacher gave up and said, I can't answer your questions. You should be in medical school. And right. so he quit college. He quit the the college, Serampore College there, and and convinced the head of the medical college in Calcutta to allow him to come in. And he didn't care about being a doctor. He just wanted to monitor the courses and learn. So he was a he was just bright, bright. Um, and uh, and as it, it, once he was in college, after he was in college for a while. His mother said, you know, son, it's time for you to have a life. You need to get married. You need to get, get involved with the business here, uh, the family business. And so Sri Yukteswar came home. Priyanat Karar was his name. So he came home to help mom, and uh, she arranged the marriage. He got married. Uh, he started working as a clerk, and that lasted for about a month. He couldn't <laughs> stand it uh, because, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Because he found that the people that were, he was working with were wasting so much time. They were hanging around and talking and, you know, very little work was getting done. And he's going, hey, you know, so that was frustrating for him. So he didn't do well with that. Um, and and he never really was uh, interested in work. He never really was interested in a lot of the traditional things. He was very interested in knowledge, learning, and very interested in sp- his spiritual unfolding and awakening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and apparently it was amazing amazing to hang out with i mean he was witty erudite everywhere he went people loved to listen to him he had their had their attention um he loved music he learned how to play play the sitar well enough to be be able to entertain people and his sitar teacher would have him demonstrate for people because he could do very good so he, he thought music should be an important part of everybody's education mm-hmm. so he was really kind of a, a very broadly educated and very interesting person mm-hmm. one of the stories that you tell in the movie is how he got his name as Sri Yukteswar so can you tell that story for our listeners yeah, when he was uh, once he started his his programs where he was out going out doing seminars and and having weekly programs with different people around the country, he would refer to everyone not as Mister or Mrs. or Sir. He would call everyone Sri Yukta. Sri is a you know means uh, is a short term for Lakshmi. It's a term of. Uh, uh, that uh, associated with spirituality, with expansion. Um, so Sri and Yukta is yoked, is together with God. So he, so he, he saw every person as being a blessed connection with God. So mm-hmm. he would call them Sri Yukta or Sri Yukti, depending on whether they were a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. So when he was finally 
when he finally took the vows and became a, a Swami, uh, the person who was uh, overseeing that knew this about him, and so she gave him the name um, Sri Yukta, because this is what he would talk about, you know, blessed connection with God, and Ishvara, which is... Uh, ultimate reality which is god so mm. so he got his name so it's not shri yukteswar it's often written as two words shri yukteswar it's shri yukteswar is one word mm. so this coming of yogananda to the united states was really a, a dream or an idea that had been held by all of these all of these teachers we've been talking about by babaji by by lahiri mahashaya by sri yukteswar and so sri yukteswar is the one who was yogananda's teacher so in what ways did sri yukteswar help prepare yogananda to be successful in his role as a spiritual teacher in the united states well he uh... Very early on, when Yogananda uh, had come back and was spending a lot of time with him, uh, because Sri Yukteswar was not really that interested in organization, he wanted to teach and to learn. And so he put Yogananda in charge of organizing and kind of uh, keeping track of what was happening with these various organizations and the groups and the things that he had created. So uh, Sri Yukteswar had an ashram in Puri, uh, one in Sarampur, and for a while one in Benares, as well as all these groups and a monthly publication and lots going on. And so Yogananda was kind of put in as the executor for all these different programs. So he was he was trained from the beginning to be kind of in charge of things and seeing, making sure that everything worked. Uh, and then, of course, Sri Yukteswar and, and Yogananda's other teachers, his other profound teachers. He had um, Nagendranath Baduri, uh, uh, Baduri Mahashaya, the, the, the levitating saint, who was profoundly interested in education and bringing together the West and the East. And he lived around the corner from Yogananda. Yogananda spent a lot of time with him growing up. And then there was Mahendranath Gupta. Uh, which is uh, Ams, the uh, disciple of uh, Ramakrishna, Master Mahashaya. Mm -hmm. So, and he lived a couple blocks from Yogananda. He was very much, he was an educator. He had his own school there. And so he was very much uh, an influence for Yogananda. So, and, and then Yukteswar, of course, uh, was very much trying to educate and spread the word. So all these people that Yogananda grew up with and were, was hanging out with, even when he was in high school, were all <clears throat> about education and about connecting the East and the West. Mm -hmm. This was a, this was in his DNA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And lots of supports all around him to help him to help him do yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. So <clears throat> here we are coming to the end of our you know time together we've got about five more minutes so can you say a little bit more about the impact yogananda has had on your own life now that we've talked about how he got here <laughs> well of course he you know he was the uh, the teacher of my teacher my guru roy eugene davis um who was a personal disciple of yogananda's and um had had personal training and and this uh 
became such an important part of his character, his life. And so when I met Roy, this was, uh, you know, almost a direct connection to Yogananda and his teaching through the filter of Mr. Davis's uh, remarkable uh, ability to make these things understandable to regular people like me. Um, so, and this, you know, this changed my life. I was like, like I said, I was not really particularly looking for anything. I didn't know I was missing anything. And when this came along, it was like waking up. It was like, wow, this is, makes perfect sense. And why didn't they tell me this before? You know, why did I have to go through all this suffering as a teenager? Um, and so it, so it changed my direction and my interest and, allowed me to come to the awareness that that not only is participating in and uh, understanding and practicing this but also to be able to continue to share it so i felt the calling for this very soon after i had met roy and um and began to be influenced by the teachings of yogananda and and the rest of our kriya yoga masters mm -hmm. so this has been my life ever since you know mm -hmm. it's uh, it's been uh, an amazing, amazing journey, and uh, and it's really remarkable when we see how many blessings we have and how we're guided. You know, I was guided to make this connection with Arlie Gaines. Um, I was invited in 1978. After I, I was, you know, I had taken over as uh, Roy's representative in 1974 when Arlie was transferred out of the country uh, mm -hmm. temporarily. And so I became Roy's representative in, in the San Jose area uh, for many, for four years. And then uh, Roy invited me to come back and work with him at CSA. And that was a big change. You know, right. it's like, wow, I, you know, leave, leave my job and my dog and house and, you know, two motorcycles and all the stuff and uh, pack up and head to Georgia. That's mm -hmm. interesting. So... <laughs> Um, so this has been, you know, for me, this has been a profound journey. And I look back on all the blessings that have led from one thing to another to uh, bring me to where I am right now and to be able to make this movie and have this mm -hmm. conversation. <laughs> exactly. And I should mention that, of course, uh, as listeners, uh, regular listeners know, uh, Roy Eugene Davis was also the teacher of, of Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien, who's the founder of the Yoga Hour. And with that, we've come to just the last minute or two. So I wanted to ask you in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Well, the first thing that uh, in the first interview that Mr. Davis had with Yogananda, Yogananda said, read a little, meditate more. And, and think, of, think God. of God all the time. Right. And then the last interview, just before he passed, Yogananda told Roy, he said, pay no attention to what other people do or don't do. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Don't look behind you. Look straight ahead to the goal mm -hmm. and go all the way. And you can do it. That was the last part of that message, right? And you can and, do it. And you can do it. <laughs> such a great message such a great inspiration to close on 
And with that, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and we've been discussing Paramahansa Yogananda's early life and influences with Ron Lindon, Senior Minister at the Center for Spiritual Awareness, founded by Ryujine Davis, one of Paramahansa Yogananda's direct disciples. And the documentary was made by both Ron and his wife, Helene Lindon. It's called Yogananda and the Kriya Yoga Masters, and you can access it at yogananda'sindia.com. You can find out more about Ron Lindon and the Center for Spiritual Awareness at two sites, ronlindon.com, and its uh, last name is L-I-N-D-A-H-N.com, ronlindon.com, and the CSA website is csa-davis.org. We hope you join us for the many online programs offered by the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. Currently, Yogananda, uh, sorry, Yogacharya O'Brien and CSE are offering uh, um, uh, lots of programs uh, online, including the uh, Sunday morning satsang and uh, morning meditation every morning at 630. Um, Ron Lindon, I really want to thank you for uh, being with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Mm. So um, you can learn more about uh, online programs from Center for Spiritual Enlightenment at csecenter.org. And again, Yogacharya Ellen, uh, Ellen Grace O'Brien, her site is ellengraceobrien.com. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be talking about how we can stay grounded, emotionally connected, and empowered in times of turmoil with Ralph De La Rosa, author of the book, don't tell me to relax. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. <clears throat> Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, our um, Director and founder, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, <clears throat> CSE's global media outreach manager Holly Gray and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 